official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here's your host, Glenn Naughton. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am joined tonight by my co-host, Alex Varallo. And yes, we are working on a new intro because I'm not not trying to be a jerk and leave Alex out of the intro now that he is on board and we are rolling along. How are you doing tonight, Alex? Hey, Glenn. How's it going? Good evening, Jet Nation. It's going really well. Uh, We're going to take some time tonight. Might be a longish show. We're going to cover the roster pretty much top to bottom. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to break down every single player because, as I said to Alex earlier, uh, there are some guys on this roster who have very limited NFL experience despite being in the league a couple years. And if we're going to take a few minutes on every guy, we're talking, you know, a three-plus-hour show. So we're going to touch on the starters, the backups, and maybe some dark horses, guys we think might make the roster, guys who we think could could earn a job that – you know, and, and explain why we think that player at a given position has a, has a chance to do that. Uh, we're going to answer some of your, tw- your questions on Twitter. Uh, we're gonna, and we're also going to expose ourselves a little bit here and, uh, and talk about some of our worst takes that we've had in the past. Players who maybe we believed in, coaches, GMs, whoever, who we threw our support behind or, and uh, only to find out that we were dead wrong. Because uh, let's face it. Between Twitter and the message boards and the blogs and the and the and the 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 podcasts, I feel like everyone you know people take themselves a little too seriously. Um, you know, have a little fun, make fun of yourself instead of you know constantly retweeting every single thing you've ever said that came out to be half right and pretending that nothing you ever said was wrong. That that I don't know why that bothers me, but uh, but it does. So we're gonna we're gonna you know poke fun at ourselves a little bit. And uh, talk, not not a lot of Jets news, but a couple of items to cover. Uh, before we go any further, though, first, we're going to thank our sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. This episode of Jet Nation Radio is sponsored by FanDuel Sportsbook. If you're in New Jersey, you can get a $500 risk-free bet when you sign up. This applies to all markets, whether you go NBA, NHL, MLB, or whatever your heart desires. So sign up today, FanDuel Sportsbook. So, Alex, in terms of minor items um if you want to you want to touch on them at all the jet did not pick up Darren Lee's exercise Darren Lee's 50 year option which many of us expected and they also grabbed uh Luke Falk a a fairly well thought of quarterback who was just drafted last year uh was Washington Washington State wherever it was um high completion percentage great touchdown interception ratio doesn't have the best arm but uh worked under Gase last year in Miami your your thoughts on those two uh on those two moves Oh, first I'll start with Luke Falk, and I, I like the move, um, and I know that may seem odd, but uh, having a quarterback that is familiar with Gase's system, had had he had been in um, Miami last year, so there's familiarity there, um, and there's kind of like a mentor role that Josh McCown had last season. I think Luke Falk might be the guy that ends up getting maybe the number two spot. Um, you know, I don't think it's locked up at this point. 
uh, but possibly the three spot and someone that, you know, will be helpful for Darnold and uh, some other teammates about terminology, how the scheme works, how the system, you know, the ins and outs. So uh, it's a low-key move. I like it. Um, So, you know, I just kind of hope that he sticks so that, you know, Darnold can, you know, pick his brain at any point in time, you know, with Gase's offensive philosophy. Uh, And moving to the juicier content, Darren Lee, I think it was kind of expected. There's been plenty of speculation throughout, you know, the end of last year uh, when he got suspended. Uh, The questions already started rolling about his his future with this team. Uh, Would he get picked up? Would they trade him? Where's his status? So we are getting a little bit more uh, light shed on the situation here. Uh, that maybe his days are numbered. Um, you know, everyone knows my take. I, I'm a Darren Lee fan. I, I've always been a supporter of his, and I think he's a good player. I just think that he's just had a few bumps in the road. And, you know, clearly um, when you have a player with his skill set, I don't think you just want to just let it walk uh, for nothing or just give it away for a back-end pick, like fifth, sixth, seventh round that may not amount to anything. So hopefully the Jets are being smart about this um, and the fact that, you know, he is young and he still has upside. um, There is still value to him. You know, clearly there was nothing in the draft that came to fruition, you know, with trying to trade him, but it's still early in the game. Uh, We got a long way to go before September and, you know, people get hurt, rosters change and who knows, somebody might be calling in and looking to see what we want for Darren Lee services. Yeah, I think you made a a good comparison a few weeks ago when you talked about the Dexter McDougal trade, you know, right before the season kicked off, got themselves a backup safety. Um, and that, that could be the type of deal we end up seeing, where it's for a player that had depth or for a, a mid-round pick. And I think the Jets are playing this the right way. Uh, I've seen people say it several. I saw it today on the, the message boards at JetNation.com which you should sign up and register and start chatting today. Thousands of Jets fans talking Jets football. But uh, someone uh, brought up a, a post today. Why is Darren Lee still on the roster? Why haven't they cut him yet? And I mean, it's simple. I mean, we've talked about it a million times. He's cheap. He can bring a comp pick. If a team needs, if a team has a big enough need, if the season gets closer, they might give you a pick. I mean, he has some value and he's not expensive. So there's, you know, to, to cut him now for no reason that's just silly. The rosters are at ninety. You can't you, you can't you can't give up one or two spots for some some fringe guys who might bring value in a deal later. It's just silly to cut him now. Um, and I guarantee if they cut him now and he has even a decent season, team's going to kill the Jets for cutting him. They either should have resigned him or they should have held on to trade him. Why did they cut him when there was no reason to? Um, but that is the nature of the beast. So getting into this roster from top to bottom, the Jets spent a ton of money this off season. As was expected, I mean, you know, they cleaned house a couple of years ago, and you had the feeling they were they were setting up for a, a spending spree at some point once some money cleared the books, and and again they they got a quarterback in place, which I mean that that was the plan all along. Once once they knew Geno Smith wasn't the answer, and you know the whole fits debacle, you know they had no choice. They they were absolutely going to get a quarterback somewhere somehow, and they did. So the process continues, and the rebuild, as far as I'm concerned, is on track. Uh, so let's let's start it off. You know, we just talked about Falk, but the the quarterback situation, obviously, 
better than it's been in many years with Sam Darnold topping the depth chart. Trevor Simeon probably has that second job locked up. And then, as you said, Falk and Webb will battle it out for that, that number three spot. So, I mean, your, your thoughts on Darnold are probably pretty pretty much on par with the rest of us, Alex. But that room as a whole, how do you like bringing in Simeon? Would you like to see Josh McCown back at some point? And, uh, you know, the, the Falk-Webb battle, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I like this QB room. Um, in the event, God forbid anything happens, there are some uh, sound minds in Trevor Simeon and Luke Falk. Uh, that could step in and, and keep you honest um, and, and get you through a game if, if something were to happen. Clearly, we don't want that to happen. But at this point, you know, looking at the situation last year uh, where, you know, we were reaching for players and they didn't really manage their preseason properly and we had to go out and, uh, Glenn, maybe you can help me out here. They picked up somebody off the street for that fourth preseason game, and I think he was actually pretty successful in the AAF and uh, uh, are you, are you, you know, talking about Walford Clive Walford yes well yeah so um I think it was John Walford um John Walford oh, yeah sorry oh, no, no, I'm talking but, about the tight end I'm, that that's the yeah, tight end yeah. uh, <laughs> who who the the quarterback from uh Wake Forest I believe and I'm I'm drawing right. a blank on him now too because I actually uh, I remember I did an article on him there. because I, I tweeted um I tweeted a couple of uh fellow Jets fans. I forget who I was watching. I was watching Wake Forest for an, another reason. And um jo- yeah, it's John Walford, isn't it? I I'm pretty sure it is. Um, Did we agree on it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he I, I kinda I said he was a you know uh you know, I didn't say he was Baker Mayfield, but I said he had a lot of the same traits and that he you know, undersized guy who threw the ball well on the run. Had a fantastic completion percentage. Maybe it was Purdue. Purdue or Wake Forest. Um, I think it was Purdue, actually. Uh, but, yeah, from what little I saw of him on film, I, uh, I I messaged a couple people and said, you know, is this a guy that you keep on the practice squad? And he had a couple nice performances in the AAF. So, yeah, sorry, it took me a second to get there, but I, I remembered who it was. And, and it is confirmed. It is John Walford, and he, he was uh, from Wake Forest. So we're back on track. So, I like what they're doing here. They're preparing themselves, uh, you know, for the preseason so that we don't repeat uh, the mistakes we've made in the past and, um, you know, put, you know, Sam Darnold in a uh, rough position where, you know, he's forced to play more time than he needs to in preseason. So we've got some bodies to fill uh, those games. And, again, these are just, you know, respectful guys in in the league that have experience that he can learn from because, you know, let's just be honest, the kid's only got, I think, 13 games under his belt. So he's still kind of, you know, like he's in that sponge mode where he's absorbing, he's learning, he's trying to transition, he's looking to take the next step this year. So, you know, guys like this will definitely be helpful with his development moving forward. Yeah. I mean, it, it is nice to, uh, for once feel confident about the quarterback position and not, you know, as I've said, not, not as it was in the past where you kind of convince yourself that maybe Gino can be the guy or maybe Sanchez can be the guy. And, you know, there are no guarantees with Darnold. He he could still end up not being the guy, but he certainly, everything he has said and done up to this point um, has certainly shown that he has. I mean, you compare his rookie season to Mark Sanchez. Yes, the team was better, but Sanchez was surrounded by all pro and pro bowl talent. 
Um, he threw 10 touchdowns, you know, and he, I mean, it, modern day NFL football, the guy threw 10 touchdowns in a full season. Um, he just, he was not good. Uh, Darnold on the other hand had some, some rocky moments, but by and large did some really impressive things. So obviously the outlook at quarterback is better than it's been in decades. And that brings us to running back Le'Veon Bell. He of the absent volunteer workouts, Eli McGuire behind him. You would have to imagine as I've, I've mentioned several times how, how Adam Gase has gushed about McGuire. I listed Ty Montgomery as a, as a running back, but really I think he's going to be a wide receiver, H-back, tight end type. And uh, Trenton Cannon, a rookie who showed some things on specials last year. And to me, the, the thing he didn't get the ball a lot, Alex, but there were a lot of plays where even when he, when he got some small gains or when they sent him on a deep route, he looked like the fastest guy on the field. Um, he looked like, you know, just, he would just need a little crease and he could blow it up and make a big play. So I've said before, I think he's a guy worth working with for a year or two, even if you let him make a living on specials as a gunner for the next couple seasons, garbage time carries, whatever it may be. Then D'Angelo Henderson Sr., who showed some things in preseason with the Broncos a couple years ago, but didn't really get a look with the Jets. I actually think he's got some decent skills. Uh, Valentine Holmes, we're going to throw him in there. He's the rugby star who's transferred over to uh, in the NFL's exchange program. He will be a practice squad guy who does not count as a practice squad spot. The reason I mentioned Holmes, and I've mentioned this before on the show, but for those of you who missed it, what the, the thing that jumped out to me about him is he's the first rugby guy that I've seen come over who is, A, still in his prime years at 26, 27 years old. Uh, yeah, he's 27. And he's the first guy I've seen that left a lot of money on the table to come over here. He's, uh, well, I guess I should say to go over there because I'm over here. But uh, he left $5 million on the table to go be on an NFL practice squad and make a couple hundred grand. So that, uh, that tells me this guy was a highly thought of player. Uh, a lot of times these rugby guys are sort of fringe guys or guys at the end of their career. And then there's Jalen Moore, who we've discussed, the undrafted free agent running back. Um, again, you can't not love Bell as a player. Uh, McGuire, I think you and I are higher on him than most. And what, what's your view, Alex, on Montgomery? Do you think – do you think he sees action more as a running back or as a receiver, tight end type? Uh, and is, is Trenton Cannon worth keeping around for a little while? Well, you know, that's what's interesting about Montgomery is people may have forgotten that he came into the league as a wide receiver uh, with a running back history. And the reason being that he was put in a running back role is because Green Bay had so many uh, devastating injuries that they were depleted and they needed to have him line up in the backfield. And he wasn't even primarily used that much in, in the run game. They had some other guys that they could use. Um, they were even using their fullback in, in short yarded situations. And uh, Montgomery was used more as a receiving back. So I, I kind of see him going back into a receiver's role. I think he's going to solidify the number four spot uh, on, on this roster. And, you know, a lot of people just seem to think that, you know, he's just a camp body similar to what Thomas Rolls is, I, I'm looking at it completely different. You know, I, I think about uh, Adam Gase's system that he uses and how, you know, guys like Albert Wilson last year was kind of used a little bit of as a gadget guy in the return game on jet sweeps uh, in screens, uh, you know, designing plays where you can get this guy in space so that, you know, he, he can exploit uh, the defense with his feet. 
I think Montgomery is going to be used in that style of a role and as an emergency number two uh, or three, for that matter, uh, that's really good. Uh, I like the way that this backfield is looking. I think we're going to pound the rock this year, and guys like Montgomery and McGuire and even Cannon uh, should keep Lev Bell, uh, his legs, fresh throughout the season. So if I had to be a guessing uh, man, I would probably say that uh, he will have a role in the backfield, but I think he's going to be primarily used more in the in a receiving style role. So I, I kind of see him. I, I put a tweet out the other day with a poll: what would be the most versatile, optimal um, receiving lineup? And uh, you know, there was a lot of good feedback that I got. Some people were just throwing out, you know, different bodies and players, and a lot of people. Uh, I think 59, almost 60 percent of the people said that they want to see in a five-man receiving set. Uh, Robbie Anderson, Inunua, Jameson Crowder with Le'Veon Bell and Ty Montgomery out as receivers as well. That That's what the, the fan base voted in as the, the optimal receiving lineup for Darnold. So that's yeah, kind of how I, I see him. And, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just uh, – I'll, I'll, I'll tack on to what you were saying when you're done talking about the backs. Yeah, you know, I, I like uh, Montgomery's versatility. And as far as, the, you know, the younger guys in McGuire and Cannon, uh, I'm not sure um, if Cannon will primarily be as a special teamer this year and an emergency back. Because uh, just looking at some of the things on uh, Jalen Moore, I think he's really, really going to uh, crank up the pressure and the competition level in the running back room, even for a guy like McGuire. Um, I would not just completely lock him into a role because this guy, Jalen Moore, had he not broken his ankle, a lot of people were thinking he would have been a good value in a fourth or fifth round pick for any team in, you know, in the draft, but his injury held him back at the UDFA. So I would keep my eye on Jalen Moore as, as a guy that, you know, makes his stamp in this lineup. Yeah. There were a few guys I saw who had draftable grades according to NFL.com and some other sites and Jalen Moore was one of them. I want to say Bleacher Report actually had Jalen Moore mocked to the Jets um, with a late-round pick. So that's, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how that pans out. But one thing that uh, you mentioned Montgomery, and I, the thing is I, I try to, you know, I, I try to be positive with, with, with this team, but I try not to go over the top and be too optimistic to where, you know, it gets delusional. Uh, but one thing that, that really interests me that I'm, I'm – really anxious to see is you know you can you can plug guys in at any spot you want uh on the field but it doesn't mean they're going to perform well you know you can put a guy who who doesn't belong at running back at running back and then you can say oh look he also plays running back well if he doesn't play it well who cares but the thing that interests me about the Jets and Adam Gase you know having this reputation as being such a uh you know a savvy offensive guy you're talking about what type of what type of sets they can employ or deploy and talking about Ty Montgomery. But I was thinking about it the other day and it's, you know, if you go, you can have Montgomery on the field at the same time, you know, with uh, not just, you know, not just the, the, the big receivers, but if you want to go big inside and, and you can send, you know, Wesco out there as the blocker he is who can line up at fullback or tight end. And then you have Montgomery out there who can line up at halfback or tight end, and Chris Herndon as you know at your as your 
your true receiving tight end. It just gives you a lot of versatility. I mean, you can literally go five wide on one play and then without changing out your personnel, go to a power formation. I mean, there aren't a lot of teams that have the personnel to do that. And I don't know if the Jets plan on doing that. But when I look at the personnel on the roster and I think, all right, well, Wesco can be a fullback. He can be an H-back. He can be a tight end. And obviously these big tight ends, just about any of them split out wide nowadays, the way, the way these offenses are run. But you have a guy, as crazy as it sounds, and it always looks weird watching Ty Montgomery coming out of the backfield with 88 on his back, but he has legitimately done a solid job as a halfback. So you can have him at receiver or tight end or H-back on one play, running back on the next play, and you bring Wesco in from the slot, and you move him tight to the formation. Now he's a blocking tight end or a blocking fullback. It just, it's, you can put, again, you can put anyone in any spot, but these are guys who, you know, in Montgomery, a guy who has shown he can do it, and in Wesco, a guy you believe can do it. So if that pans out, and, you know, don't forget that Quincy Nuno has played the slot and H-back as well, so, and played it well. And again, that's the key there. They have a lot of guys, you know, Wesco being the X factor because he hasn't proven he can do it in the NFL. But Quincy Inunua has shown that he can move around. Now, you may want to limit that because of his injuries, um, but he's not afraid to come down inside and, and throw a block and, and do it well. Um, so there, there's the potential for the variety and the different looks they can throw at an offense is, is kind of endless. And I, I just kind of had that thought when that tweet Brian Baldinger sent out saying that by, by getting uh, by drafting Wesco at tight end, fullback, H-back, that Adam Gase's playbook just increased by 25% because of the things he can do with him. And that's when I thought to myself, well, you can do a lot of things with Ty Montgomery too. And you can do a lot of things with Quincy Inunua. Um, so I think the, uh, this, this has the potential to be fun. Um, without, you know, I think I've said enough on, I think you guys get my point that they have a lot of guys who can fill a lot of roles and fill those roles adequately, um, at the very least. So interesting possibilities on offense this year for Adam Gase. And, um, so the wide receivers, Robbie and Quincy, we know about Crowder, you mentioned, but, uh, share your thoughts on them. And, you know, the, the Jets currently have about 15, 16 receivers on the roster. I don't expect you to talk about every one of them. But actually, I'll run you through the names in case one slips your mind, Alex, and you can comment on whoever you want to. So you got Robbie, Quincy, Crowder, Josh Bellamy, Deontay Burnett, Stacey Coley, Quadri Henderson, J.J. Jones, Sharon Peak, Tim White, Ty Montgomery, and then the two undrafted free agents, Jeff Smith out of Boston College, and Greg Dorch, who we've spoken about quite a bit out of Wake Forest. Yeah, so as, as far as this lineup goes, the top three – are pretty much solidified, I feel, at this point. And Absolutely. where where is it going to go with the four, five, six? That's where I'm most curious. And I think that's where Montgomery um, is a key factor in this lineup because we'll, we have the versatility to carry less bodies in the wide receiver room due to his running back wide receiver eligibility. So, again, you know, I do feel that Montgomery will be that number four and then it comes down to who's going to win the five, six. Um, you know, will Sharon Peak make it again? We know that he's got good special teams play, but we've seen very little from him on the wide receiver standpoint. Uh, I know that there is a lot of fans out there, um, probably dating back to the USC days for Deontay Burnett. Of course, people like to see that chemistry that carries over from college into the pros. 
when you have a Absolutely. quarterback and a wide receiver on the same team. So, you know, there's there's definitely a case for Burnett. You know, will he be able to, you know, excel himself and, and, and solidify his role? And, uh, you know, like we already – we've talked about Dorch in the past, and, you know, I'm really not too sure about some of the other guys that you had mentioned. Um, more or less, maybe these are just guys that Gase has worked with in the past, and he just wants to get a closer look at them. But it's definitely going to be interesting to see how the back end of the wide receiver group pans out and whether or not, as the summer goes by, will the Jets look in free agency to maybe add a body or two, maybe a veteran of some sort, to just kind of shore up that group so that Sam, in the event somebody goes down, the next man up is not too far of a drop-off. Yeah, and, you know, I'm curious to see what they do with uh, with Josh Bellamy because – I don't have the numbers right here in front of me. I'll, I'll go off the top of my head. I think he got two and a half, three million a year. And everyone mentioned special teams, and I've heard them talk about him as a return guy. He hasn't done a lot of return work. And you don't generally see special teams guys get three million a year just to be a gunner or, you know, or a special teams player. So I'm wondering if they kind of envision a role for him greater than what we're expecting based on his, his previous performance. With the Bears, I'm not predicting that he does. I'm just I'm looking at his, I'm looking at his salary, uh, which is an astronomical by NFL, you know, by today's NFL standards. But to me, two and a half, three million, unless I'm mistaken, I'm, I'm sure those were the numbers. Um, that's that's enough money that I would expect them to have some type of role for him on offense. So that you know we'll have to wait and see how that plays itself out. But I think the the receivers, especially you know as we mentioned, the top three: Robbie, Quincy, Crowder. The big things of there, of course, there will be injuries, um, off-field stuff. If they stay healthy and, you know, fine, you miss a game or two, you live with it. But if you can keep those guys on the field together for 13, 14, 15 games, that gives Sam Darnold some pretty damn good targets. And Deontay Burnett's a guy I, I know I'm pulling for him. A lot of fans are. I know we've talked about Dorch and wanting to see him make it. And, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, we just want the best guys to make it, obviously. Um, and Jeff Smith, the Boston College guy, is interesting because – Again, he, uh, you know, they need some explosion um, outside of just Robbie. It'd be nice to have another playmaker. And Jeff Smith's a guy who ran a sub 4, 440. Showed some good hands from what I was able to see, but I'm not going to lie and say I watched a ton of his games, watched one or two of his better performances, and, and came away, you know, feeling like he's got pretty good hands. So, you know, we'll see where that goes. The, the other interesting thing here, um, Alex, is that they have some guys, they have a lot of guys with return experience, uh, whether it's in college or the pros. You know, Quadri Henderson, who they who they grabbed off the Giants. Um, Tim White, uh, second, third-year guy out of Arizona. They had a, you know, really nice uh, job returning kicks and punts in college. And Dorch, of course, we talked about his return ability. So, yeah, they, they lost their top return guy last year, but they're bringing in a lot of bodies who have, who have had success doing that in college and the pros. So, you know, we'll see how that pans out and how big of a role that plays in one of these guys making the roster. And I mentioned earlier about the tight ends, uh, which Ravon Wesco focusing on him because of the versatility he brings. And if you look at the group as a whole, obviously you have Chris Herndon as your starter. You got Wesco as the draft pick. Then behind them, you've got Daniel Brown, who they brought in from the Bears. And I think they envisioned him as being the blocking guy. But I think by adding Wesco, Brown is probably not going to be around. Now, he is a guy, if you look, Alex, his measurable is he played small school college. But he, he was a productive receiver in college. So maybe they think they can, you know, get him involved a little bit. I don't really know. 
but you got Herndon, Wesco, Tomlinson, Neil Sterling, Jordan Leggett, Daniel Brown. If they're going to carry three tight ends, who do you think they carry? I mean, the well, obvious Herndon and Wesco. Of, of the other four, who do you think sticks? I think the three uh, drafted tight ends will stick in Herndon, Leggett, and Wesco. But we're going to start the season out with four only because of Herndon's right, Herndon suspension. I think we will get a little help from the NFL as we can open up an additional spot for guys that are suspended, if I'm not mistaken. So I think that's where Eric Tomlinson comes into play, uh, just as somebody to get you through the first month. Um, I'm not sure how many weeks or, or what the punishment is for Herndon, whether it's three games or four games. I'm not sure if that's been determined as of yet, but to have, someone that's familiar working with this unit and Eric Tomlinson, uh, even if it's only for a few weeks, I, I understand keeping that guy around. Um, but, you know, Jordan Leggett could be the odd man out in this scenario here because they've given him, I think this will be his third year or his possible going into his fourth year uh, with the Jets. It's, it's, it's year number three for him, but remember, he did spend his first year on IR, so he's only got one year on the field. So, okay, so he's in going into his third year with one year of experience. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's rookie. He, he wasn't on IR all year. He, I think he was literally inactive for the first eight, nine, ten games. He got on the field one game for special teams, and then not long after that went on IR. So I, I don't know if he played more than one or two snaps on offense, if any at all, um, as a rookie. Yep. And, you know, so it's either one of two avenues, I believe, is that – Maybe he sticks because they have yet to see, you know, what potential, you know, what his max potential is. And possibly it's, hey, you've been here kicking around, you know, going into your third year and you've yet to make that jump. You know, I I keep going back and remembering um, that amazing national championship game where Leggett was just making these great catches and keeping the chains moving and, you know, he, he kept Clemson in those games, and I just kind of thought that that was going to translate to the next level, that it was going to be easy for a player like that. And, and that just kind of shows the difficulty of the position, the difficulty of the, the NFL in itself, because he looked like a stud, and it looked like a slam dunk pick. But we've yet to see, you know, what he could do at this level. You know, he, he's made a couple plays here and there, we, you know, we've seen him, you know, maybe miss an assignment here in, in the blocking scheme. So, you know, Gase is a different type of mentality of head coach. Um, he he kind of doesn't, I, I feel, have, uh, you know, as much patience as maybe the last regime to where if he doesn't think you're not getting it, you're not absorbing my system, and I don't see how you're going to help us, see you later, bye. could clearly be one of those situations. So Jordan Leggett is definitely the most intriguing individual of the tight end group for this team. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, if, if Jordan Leggett can play, I think that bringing Adam Gase in is going to be the best thing that could have happened to him because he's he's a guy who's expected to be able to develop offensive talent. And Jordan Leggett's a guy who just didn't see a lot of targets last year, but when he did, I thought he showed pretty good hands. Um, but And I thought he blocked, you know, he wasn't great by any stretch, but he was far better than I anticipated. Um, I thought he was just going to get killed as a blocker, but he did a, a I would say, a decent job. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't the liability I expected him to be. 
Neil Sterling, the concussions worry me. He had a fantastic camp last year. All the tight ends really did. The, the, all the tight ends had really good camps. Um, but Sterling, because of the concussions, was gone. I, I, I get I agree. You know, Herndon will see a suspension. How many games? We don't know that just yet. I think the biggest issue for Tomlinson is that, you know, his first couple years with the Jets, he was he did a decent enough job in his role as a blocking tight end because that was his, his one job. Uh, the problem was last year he was a blocking tight end and his blocking wasn't any good. So if they're only paying you to do one thing and you're not doing that thing, uh, you're not going to hang around too long. So I think what the Jets did here was bring him in, give him a one-year deal and say, let's, you know, Let's see if you're going to be the guy you were last year or the guy you were the two years before that where you did a decent job. And maybe Tomlinson sticks around when Herndon is suspended. But my, my suspicion would be the, the long the long range uh, view with a long-term view would be Herndon, Wesco, Leggett. Brown, I would say, probably doesn't even make the roster. But again, way, way too early um, for that. Let's, let's wait till we see them play a little bit. Now, onto the O-line at tackle. With the starters, left and right, you have Beecham and Shell. Then behind them, you have Brent Quale, who also could play a little guard if you asked him to. But uh, offensive tackle, Brent Quale, Chuma Adoga, the draft pick out of USC. Then a, a few guys that we really – well, two guys, Eric Smith and Digot uh, Di Joseph. Uh, Joseph they grabbed from the Vikings practice squad and Eric Smith from the Pats. And Joseph was a guy they picked up early in the year, let him go for a week or two, and then added him again. And then behind them, we're listing Wyatt Miller and Tyler Jones, both undrafted free agents out of UCF and NC State, respectively. So my position, Alex, on Beecham for a couple years now has been that he's good, not great. You can live with him. Don't understand why so many fans are down on him. It's not like the guy's making $50 million a year. He's a middle-of-the-road tackle, making middle-of-the-road tackle money. He's, he's a good player, not great. Shell is a player who I wish he was a bit nastier in the run game, but he's not. He's not bad in the past. If not for Cameron Wake beating his ass up and down the field every time they play, um, Shell would would look like a much better player. But Cameron Wake is a Hall of Famer who gives a lot of guys fits, but he just he seems to be good for at least one sack every time he faces the Jets and Brandon Shell. Quality veteran. What are your thoughts on the offensive tackle position? Yeah, I think you laid it out pretty well. Um, I don't see how anybody, you know, unless if this Chuma Adoga guy, it really, really, you know, takes big steps throughout the the camp and the and the you know uh, summer process to earn a spot. It does seem like he's a little bit buried at the moment. Unless if the health of Brandon Shell is worse than what we've been led on, I think his last report that I saw is that he was present to the voluntary workouts. Um, he wasn't doing anything um, extreme that day, just basically coming in, um, you know, just getting involved with the trainers and kind of, I guess they're, you know, the Jets training crew is very good. They, they set up good programs to make sure that their guys, you know, can get on the field. If anybody remembers Calvin Beecham had a, a foot injury. I'm not sure if it was ankle or something different like that. And it, it almost sounded like he was not going to be there for week one, and, and he made it. He, he suited up. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think he missed a game all year. So, you know, thumbs up to the Jets training staff. 
so at this point, I think Beecham and Shell are a lock, unless if Shell's health is, is worse than, than what we know, uh, then maybe there's a spot for Quale or Adoga. Um, and that's pretty much how I see it. And it'll be interesting to see when we go to 2020 if Chuma gets an opportunity to compete for the left side and they decide to extend Brandon Shell for the right tackle position. You know, otherwise maybe we'll be in the market for a left tackle next year and we're going to promote Chuma to that right side. Yeah, that's where Adoga is is a guy who raises a lot of questions because there have been people talked about maybe he's going to play inside or maybe he's going to push Shell on the right side. But I think I think long-term they, they view him as a guy they'd like to develop into a left tackle. But the fact that he may have some, some positional versatility or be able to play a couple different spots, he's a guy that, you know, there's a couple different ways he can contribute and hopefully develop. So we'll see uh, we'll see what the plan is for him because really – until camp opens up and, and and they start playing games, we can speculate and guess on who's going to play where, but uh, the coaching staff could have something else completely in mind. We can talk about him as a tackle all we like. If they open up camp and he's competing with Brian Winters at right guard, then at least for the immediate future, that's where you have to kind of view him. And speaking of guards, that's what we will move on to next. I mentioned Brian Winters. He's the incumbent at right guard. And Kalechios Maley, who they brought in on trade with the Raiders, former All-Pro left guard, who is obviously a massive upgrade over James Carpenter. He has had some injury issues, but uh, looks like he's, I mean, he is in phenomenal shape. He's dropped a bunch of weight, uh, everything. You know, he, uh, when they when they traded for him, hopped on his scale and he dropped like 15 pounds um, since the season ended. And I saw somebody, one of the beat writers tweet out during their little, uh, veteran camp that he looked uh, he looked like he was in fantastic shape. Tom Compton, the free agent they signed from the Vikings, Ben Braden, the undrafted free agent, entering his third year out of Michigan, earned himself some reps in camp, got himself found himself on the active roster late in the year. And Compton to me, and I've I've said before, I said to you, Alex, uh, because Adam Gase is who he is and he has no loyalty to any of these guys, I fully expect one of these guys to push Brian Winters for that starting right guard job. And another name to throw out there, Jordan Morgan. He was drafted just last year. Uh, Fifth-round pick, small-town guy, so you have to figure – or small-school guy out of Cootstown. So you have to figure I'm, – I'm always puzzled by that. I mean, unless he was completely overwhelmed. You know, these these small-school these small school guys generally need a little bit more time to develop. The Bears took him in the fifth round of the 17 draft. So uh, he was with the team for 17 and 8, so I guess two years. And I think he had some – I'm pretty sure he had some injuries. But um, he's a guy who didn't get much of a shot. And uh, physical guy, you know, road grader in the run game, granted against smaller competition. But interested to see what happens with him. But I, I, I still, I've said from the day, especially once they signed Compton, I don't, I don't see Brian Winters as the lock to start that, that many folks probably do. How do you feel about the, the guard spot, Alex? I feel more comfortable uh, about the guard position, especially the left side of the line this year. Uh, I, I always thought that James Carpenter was a, a good player. I just could, you could see that he was beginning to slow down a little bit and his mobility, he looked a little stiff and that just comes with, you know, the, the brutality of the sport. And, you know, as you get older, it gets a little bit harder every day to get up out of bed and, stick to that same regimen of, you know, just training and eating and dieting properly and then trying to stay healthy and 
and continue to raise the bar every year as you get older to to compete at a high level. You know, I I did like James a lot, but there was definitely, you know, some downfalls uh, on how he played and missing assignments. Uh, Actually, last night I was watching uh, the Miami uh, home opener against the Jets and uh, the pre-snap penalties, my goodness. And, you know, and then after that, you, you let somebody come in and sack Darnold. And it was just, I was back to where I was last year being frustrated again, biting my bottom lip. So, you know, getting a guy in KO who apparently is in the best shape of his life, he was, you know, around 300-plus pounds. And I think he got himself down to 295 at one point. Um, after he had decided to completely change his diet and his workout regimen, he decided to try to the, – the way to maintain and, and stay longer in this sport is to start taking care of himself better. And that's great to hear from, uh, you know, a player at his age and with his uh, caliber of play. He's a bruiser. He's a mauler. He's going to bring a lot of physicality to this offensive line. Um, the, the left side is clearly our strong point. And in the event that, you know, we don't make any uh, upgrades to the center position, at least on the left side, we have somebody to, you know, uh, mask the deficiencies that we may have at center. So, and and we know what to expect from Winters. Um, I I guess to keep it short with him, when healthy, Winters is a very, very good lineman. And that's the, the, the main factors that he needs to be healthy. So, you know, hopefully this year, uh, rather than the last two where he's kind of been working through some things, he, he finally has, you know, a bounce back year with his health and he'll, he'll continue to, you know, be a better asset for this offensive line rather than being a liability when you're playing on, you know, on one leg or you've got this core injury. So hopefully winters can, can stay healthy and, and be, you know, a solid uh, bruising power um offensive lineman that we've seen him do in the past. Yeah, I think the thing with Winters is he's been around long enough that we know what he is and that he shows he has he has moments where he looks like he's one of the better linemen in the league, but those moments are few and far between. What you generally get from him is decent pass protection and just not very good run blocking. And I think that's what makes him, you know, again, he's a starter in this league because if you look around the league, offensive lines are so bad. Brian Winters is a guy who, you know, would start on a lot of teams. It's not just that he's, you know, he's only a starter on this roster. I mean, you watch the Arizona Cardinals from last year, and my goodness, you know, they were uh, they, they were a, a disaster. So Brian Winters is a guy who, again, he's we know what he is, has some very good moments, but for the most part, not a very good run blocker, decent decent pass blocker and a guy whose job, you know, could be had if, if one of these guys steps up. And as you mentioned, you know, he seems every year, you know, he doesn't miss a ton of games mo usually, but uh, he always seems to miss like three, four, five games at some point, or, you know, as it was the case two years ago, played through an injury, which I mean, tip your cap to him. I mean, Jesus, some people that, that torn abdominal muscle, some people can't get out of bed with that. And this guy's out there getting on, you know, suiting up and playing in the NFL every Sunday. Um, you know, that's a, that, that's a, an atrocious decision by the, by the coaching staff to play him. But, you know, you tip your cap. I mean, one thing you can't question with, with Brian Winters is his toughness. I mean, you do something like that, that's, that's some crazy stuff. So, you know, you got to give credit where it's due, but I, I do think he, he will, 
you know, he will be challenged for his starting job. And uh, it's not going to be like it has in years past where it just gets handed to him. And that, that'll bring us to the, the final position on the O-line and the one with the most questions. Uh, center, Jonathan Harrison, who filled in admirably for Spencer Long at the end of last season. John Toff, the uh, practice squad, he was on the practice squad last year, practice squad center out of Kentucky, and then an undrafted free agent who they brought in, and I'm assuming that's where they're going to work him, in Toa Lobendon, the guy out of USC. So some some scary propositions at center. Uh, I think Harrison, I would say he is better than people give him credit for, but still not, you know, probably outside the top 20 starting centers in the NFL, which is bad, obviously. The good thing is he's not in the bottom three or four, which is what the Jets have had each of the last two seasons in Spencer Long and Wesley Johnson. So what are your thoughts on the center position, Alex? Is Jonathan Harrison a guy you feel comfortable with going into the season as your starter, or is this a spot that they absolutely must make some changes before the season starts? Yeah, I'd like to see an upgrade or at least a body to come in and and compete. Uh, I understand he got us through the season uh, because of Spencer Long's finger issues. He was unable to snap, and we had to move him over to fill in for James Carpenter, which may have been the best thing for him personally. But just because you got by with somebody doesn't mean that that's the automatic answer. You know, I think we talked about this maybe last week or two, you know, one of the previous shows on how we kind of did the same thing with Wesley Johnson. When Mangold started getting hurt and showing those signs of decline, we, we brought in Wesley. He filled in. He looked admirable. We brought him in for the next year for a full season, and it just was not what we were expecting at all. He, he really, really struggled at the end. And, you know, I'm looking right now at how the season – uh, played out in the games in which he was starting. And I know it, everyone um, is accounted for on that on that O-line, but the Jets only had one game in which they had over 100 yards rushing um, in the, the last month of football. So, you know, clearly there there's room for improvement. And, you know, usually the, guy that, the guys that set the tone are, you know, right at the center position for the offensive line. So the fact that, you know, Maybe myself and fans aren't comfortable with him. Maybe the Jets in the front office see something that we don't. Uh, but I would feel more comfortable if we brought, you know, at least somebody else in for competition with some experience. Um, we've, we've mentioned some guys that are still available in free agency that have experience. And, you know, hopefully the Jets, uh, you know, don't, you know, overthink this too too hard, but you know, get get some get some guys in here because it's all about Sam Darnold in my mind. And God forbid if anything happens to him and you didn't address this position in free agency or in the draft, you know, those are those are fireable offenses in my mind. So, you know, if this is the game plan, um, you know, this is really really going to be a key factor I think on Mike McCagney's future at, at this center position. Yeah, I think that's going to be, you know, if if Jonathan Harrison is anywhere near as bad as they've been the last couple of years, that's going to be a huge, huge red flag on Mike McCagnin's resume. Uh, if he plays the way he did with the Colts his first couple of years in the league, it's, you know, it's you, you could do better, but you could certainly do a lot worse. You know, he'd probably give you below average to average center play 
which again, with what the Jets had gotten used to, that would almost be welcome sight, but they should bring somebody in. And with that in mind, having said that, uh, as we get ready to start covering the defensive side of the ball, let's go to uh, some questions we had sent to us on Twitter, and a couple of them kind of tie into each other, so we may be able to condense the questions here. Uh, David O'Rourke, who's a regular listener to the show, uh, and he's over in the UK as well, and thanks for tuning in, David. David uh, comments, retweets, likes a, a ton of our stuff, big fan, so we do appreciate that. So David asks, uh, with the comp pick deadline passing, which is, has been a bit of a story that, you know, some of the, the bigger name free agents who haven't signed, the feeling is that they will start getting phone calls now because they no longer figure into the comp pick formula. So teams will not risk losing a pick by signing them of the players who are still on the market. Do we see the jets going after any of them? And that does kind of tie into another question from Bobby V who asks, what are the jets doing with the rest of their cap money? So I think, um, I can't remember if I covered this or not last week, Alex. I know that I uh, I had this article up while we were doing the show, and I can't remember if I held off. But for those who didn't hear, I'll throw out a couple names, and and uh, and you can comment on whether or not you think they they would make sense. Uh, one that we've well, a couple we've talked about, Mo Claiborne. I don't think he should be brought in as a definite starter. You bring him in, let him compete. If Daryl Roberts or Derek Jones or somebody beats him out, then you've got him as depth. And let's face it, you know even. Even as it, whether it's starter, depth, whoever wins that job, you're bringing in another decent NFL corner who has shown he can play. Uh, the question there, of course, we've been we've we've learned recently that Claiborne is recovering from a surgery. We don't know what the surgery is, what the recovery time is, and there's that red flag again about his injury history. Although he's been relatively healthy with the Jets. Uh, another option again with uh, where where some of that money could go, Stephen Wisniewski. We've also talked about veteran center, maybe John Sullivan, another veteran, both guys who could compete with, with Jonathan Harrison. Wisniewski probably has had some of the, the better football or has been a better player, I would say, than Sullivan. I'm not going to pretend I've watched a ton of either of them, but watched a little bit of both when, when they became possibilities. Looked at some of their grades on PFF and um, looks like I think Wisniewski was not, had a pretty solid season a couple of years ago. Uh, Shane Ray, outside linebacker, former Denver Bronco, who I've said, if he's your plan A to upgrade, that's not a good thing because he's, he didn't do as much as you would expect as a first-round pick who played opposite Von Miller. But as a depth situational guy, absolutely. And ditto for Nick Perry, who is working out with the Dolphins, if I'm not mistaken, or, or the Dolphins have shown some interest. So Ray and Perry would be options off the edge for depth in those spots. Uh, those are the top guys I would mention. I, I saw someone mention Michael Crabtree. I just I feel like I've heard enough negative press about him in the locker room that the Jets would look to avoid that um, with Sam Darnold and really just in general for this you know this supposed culture change that they're they're trying to get underway. So what are your thoughts on those guys? And are there any that I didn't mention, Alex, who you think you would like to see the Jets throw a little bit of money at to uh, improve their depth? Yeah, uh, I would definitely like to see them maybe uh, give a look at one of the free agent wide receivers if you can get some sort of a one-year show-me deal. Uh, Michael Crabtree, I'd probably put you know toward the top of that list. Uh, there are some some interesting names that are that are out there. Not anybody that really like. Wow, I can't believe he's you know still available at this point. Uh, 
but to just take, you know, a look at just some, some bodies at least. Uh, you've got players like Mike Wallace that's still out there that's an oldie but a goodie that can stretch the field. Uh, you know, Martavis Bryant has bounced around, and, you know, he's a little bit of a head case. But at 27 years old, who knows if you, if you can figure out a way to turn things around for him. Um, there are, you know, even I was wondering – What's going on with Jermaine Curse? Um, has he just completely, you know, with, did 2018 with the way he carried himself? Uh, is he just completely just forgotten about? Um, you know, we we did see him play pretty well in 2017. I'm not sure if it was just a horrific Jeremy Bates offensive scheme and he was buried and you know maybe his head wasn't really into it. Not too sure what's going on there, but we all know that what we see on paper today is not going to be what we're working with week one in September. So I I would not uh, hesitate to maybe bring in, you know, a body or two just to throw around and and just see what they could do. See who could absorb the offense and you never know what you can find, uh, you know, because some guys are just late bloomers and you know, that stuff like that happens all the time. Um, Somebody else, you know, on the defensive side, uh, if we really wanted to, you know, shore things up defensively, uh, I, I would hate to see Ziggy Ansah go to the, the Buffalo Bills. And, uh, you know, there was a guy, Mitch Morse, that I know a lot of Jets fans were thinking that we were going to target, and then the Bills signed him. So I've been seeing articles and, and, and seeing some tweets about Ziggy Ansah showing them interest. I wouldn't even mind sniping somebody, even if we end up, you know, just bringing him in and maybe he's not as healthy as he, as he claims to be, or we end up cutting him. just keep him away from, from the AFC East teams, improving their roster at least. Yeah. Ziggy Anza is a name that gets thrown around because he's been a, a very good pass rusher at times, but there are a lot of folks who feel like he just in a three, four, which again, I've mentioned before schemes don't matter as much as they used to because teams go so multiple on their defensive sets that you're, you're not in your base all that often. But you have to wonder, would they make another? I, I just don't think it's realistic. You, the money you've invested in, in Henry Anderson, the money you're paying Leonard Williams, the fact he just used a third on a D lineman, um, I don't see them spending uh, you know a, another significant chunk of money in that spot. But that's a good question about Jermaine Kirst, though, because I, I mentioned him a couple times during the offseason. Um, I know we were all extremely frustrated with the way he played last year. Uh, I just, I can't help but I look at the 2017 version and the 2018 version and kind of like on a, on a similar to, to what I was saying with Eric Tomlinson last season or uh, a little while ago, I would have no issue if the Jets said, Hey man, we're going to give you a one year deal and we're going to find out which Jermaine curse was the real Jermaine curse. Cause if you can be the 2017 version that, that does wonders for this offense. He was fantastic. But if you're going to be the 2018 version who kind of pouts and, and doesn't like, and uh, don't get me wrong. I think he did get screwed by the Jets last year. I think coming off the year he had to then be an afterthought in an offense that couldn't put points on the board at times. I I, I don't blame him for being frustrated, but, but kind of just going into a shell making, you know, the mental lapses that we saw from him. You you can't do that if you expect to get a big contract or any contract really, but he's a guy I haven't even thought of in a while. Um, And I'd, I'd mentioned earlier in the off season, should the Jets bring him back and say, you know, because obviously he's not getting big offers. So if they say, look, man, you know, one-year deal, small money, which Jermaine Curse is the real Jermaine Curse? 
and give him an opportunity because I, I think he can play. And uh, I think last year was a was a shame for him the way it all went down. Uh, you know, maybe didn't have the best attitude toward the situation where again I I feel like he was getting screwed, but you still got to go in and you, you got to put in the effort. So that covers those those questions. We got a couple more. We got Alex Arroyo. Alex is when we've talked about this a little bit, but I, I would actually add to mine uh, today. He's asking which undrafted free agent do you think has a chance to make the roster. Now, of course, we've talked several times and, and again tonight about Greg Dortch at Wake Forest. Um, not really a, a need to go over that again, but one guy who, uh, who jumped out at me a little bit. And again, these, these are undrafted guys. They're not, you know, the chances of finding guys that are just going to jump out, you know, on, on a, you watch a couple of their games, especially guys in bigger schools who are playing, you know, top level competition. You're not going to see a lot of guys that just jump out as being dominant because those guys probably would have been drafted. But one guy who looked pretty good from uh, from the, the couple games I watched, Kyle Phillips, the lineman out of Tennessee. Uh, he bulked up to 277 for uh, for his pro day after playing at 265. He ran a 465. He had uh, 55 tackles, seven for loss, and four sacks at Tennessee. But Tennessee, was they just were not very good. I think this could be a case of a a player who would have been been far more productive on a better team. And uh, you know, I liked, from what I saw of him, I liked his ability to hold up against the run. He was able to, you know, he was able to, you know, get skinny and shoot some gaps at times to, to get, get some pressure on the quarterbacks. Again, the, the sacks weren't there. But as a developmental D lineman, um, maybe even a, initially maybe a practice squad guy, but who could steal a roster spot, I would uh, I would point to to Kyle Phillips and again we we've, we've kind of shared our thoughts on Greg Dorch but uh, go ahead and what, what are your thoughts Alex you can if you want to re- reemphasize your thoughts on Dorch go right ahead um, if there's someone else that you're thinking of uh, who you got uh, my guy uh, that would be the dark horse UDFA has got to be Jalen Moore uh, you know I urge people to go out there and try to find some some tape on this kid through YouTube or you know wherever you do your searching. He averaged six yards per carry when he was in college. And, you know, if you read about how other scouts and analysts were talking about him, it just seems that he just had this unfortunate injury that kind of, you know, derailed his his path to the NFL. But, you know, he seems to be a positive uh, individual, and um, he believes in himself. And, you know, I think that he's going to make a strong case this year if he can stay healthy, and he's going to – you know, put a little sweat on the brows of, uh, you know, the McGuire's and the Trenton Cannons of, of, of the world. So my, my uh, dark horse would definitely be Jalen Moore out of uh, Appalachian State. All right, yeah, we have talked about him a little bit. I've, I've seen some of his stuff, and uh, as I said earlier, he was he was a projected uh, – he had a draftable grade. And, you know, as much as I like Eli McGuire, let's face it, behind Le'Veon Bell, there's not anyone who's done enough as a pro that you can say for sure they're going to make the roster. Um, again, I like McGuire's chances. But um, last question comes from Michael D., who is another uh, regular in terms of uh, liking, commenting, interacting, retweeting our stuff on Twitter. So uh, we always appreciate those fans who uh, check in with us regularly and share their thoughts, whether they agree or disagree. So Michael D. asks, how do you feel about the cornerback situation, and are there any alternatives? McCagnan not signing Claiborne seems to mean either he wants to drive a hard bargain or thinks the guys on the roster, plus whomever might come available in cut down, 
will present better value. So as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I think the Claiborne holdup could be the injury as he, again, uh, was reportedly recovering after surgery. We don't know what that surgery was. The cor- I'm not going to lie. The corner situation does worry me. It's probably the biggest, the, the most important spot on the roster that has a huge question mark next to it because we've talked about Tremaine Johnson and the hope that he returns to form under Greg Williams. And we hope that Daryl Roberts plays at the level he played last year before Todd Bowles moved him to safety. Now, that's what we hope. We Is that going to happen? I mean, if Tremaine Johnson, maybe he hit a wall. Maybe he played so poorly last year because he's not that good anymore. Some guys, not every guy, but some guys at 28, 29, 30, they just hit a wall. And Daryl Roberts, as nice as it was and as encouraging as it was to see him play as well as he did, that doesn't mean he's going to be able to sustain that level of play over the the course of a full season. Derek Jones, we've talked about, love his athleticism, love what I saw from him in camp last year. He hasn't proven a whole lot. So there, I mean, the reason for, you know, the optimistic view would be True Johnson is getting back with a D.C., who used him right, and he played well under. And Daryl Roberts showed last year he could play. He equaled or exceeded Mo Claiborne's production. And Derek Jones has some sick skills that – did I just say sick? Jesus. Has some some <laughs> pretty incredible skills that, uh, from a physical standpoint, they give Greg Williams something to work with. So there there's, there's reason for optimism. But, again, the pessimistic view could be what if Johnson's done? What if Roberts playing well for a half a season was a fluke? And what if Derek Jones doesn't pan out? And that would then leave this team with no corners. Um, you know, it's unlikely all three outcomes are positive or all three are negative. It'll probably be a mix of the three. But, yeah, a corner does worry me. And I, I think it does worry the Jets. You know, when we had Manish made on last week, he did say the Jets were looking to move up into round two to grab a corner. So they clearly are not as comfortable. They, they're... They're not 100% comfortable, but they're also not panicking. Because if they were panicking, they would have spent what it cost to get up to the second round and draft the corner. And they didn't do that. So, those are the questions. Do you have anything on any of those, Alex? Uh, I know you, you, you covered the, the undrafted, or the, sorry, the, the guys they might sign with the, with, the, uh, with the comp pick window closing. But what are your thoughts on the, on the corner position? Yeah, I think you said it uh, quite well. And uh, to answer Michael's question, I, I think that uh, Mo Claiborne should be at the top of the list for guys that they should consider maybe bringing back in. Now, again, this was somebody that may have fit the, the scheme for Casey Rogers and Todd Bowles' mind, and I can't speculate whether or not if that uh, meets, you know, the the needs or, you know, uh, the comfort of Greg Williams and, and his system. You know, he did, uh, or at least the Brown shocked everybody last year. A lot of people thought that they were going to go with that second first-round pick that they had and go after Bradley Chubb and try to get this dynamic pass-rushing scheme with, you know, Garrett coming off one end and Chubb on the other. And they went for Denzel Ward, who ended up being the best cornerback uh, in, the, in the draft class. So, yeah. you know, we, we, we can't just – automatically say oh yeah this is this is a no-brainer because we know of him and 
we we understand that we're comfortable with his play style that you know he can be a little grabby at times but you know majority of the time he plays a pretty stand-up game um there are still a lot of bodies um out in free agency and you know we we might see them you know bring in another guy or two just to to do diligence uh but i would put mo claiborne at the top of that list and and i'll leave it at that yeah again i think that as I said, I think that's the the number one, the the biggest position, with the the most important position that has a huge question mark next to it. So, Mo would be probably the top of my list, and you know we we've talked about Wisniewski, and you know the fact that he it would make sense to bring him in. So we are going to go back to the the roster breakdown, and we'll start on the line where we uh, let's see talk, well, we've just talked about Kyle Phillips, the undrafted free agent. But uh, So along the D-line, of course, you've got Leonard Williams, Henry Anderson returning, along with Steve McClendon, Mr. Underrated himself, and then Quinnen Williams, your, third, your number three overall pick, returning players from last year also, who uh, you know, a couple guys who were rookies in full of runs of Adekasi and Nathan Shepard. Then you've got Bronson Kafusi, uh, Terrell Basham, who saw you know, a couple reps here and there. Charles Tapper's an interesting guy. I uh, haven't looked at his stuff in a while, but I remember when they added him. I watched some film, did an article or two, uh, un, uh, uh, not undrafted, but a, a D lineman out of Dallas where it was basically injuries. Uh, just couldn't stay healthy, couldn't get on the field. When he got on the field, he, he looked solid. Then, of course, Kyle Phillips, who I said I mentioned, Mike Stout, Appalachian State, undrafted free agent. Interesting note on Stout, um, Alex, that I looked up. He uh, looked up his pro day results. 40 time wasn't, you know, would have put him sort of middle, back of the pack. Um, his bench would have put him again middle of the pack not middle but 28 reps at 225 which isn't bad but the thing that jumped out to me was his vertical uh for a guy who weighs i think he's i think he showed up at 292 to the combine 293 uh he had a 32 inch vertical which would have made him if he had been at the combine only two other d linemen who came in at 290 or more jumped that high so he would have been one of only three guys, and uh, that that where that translates that that can be a big part of a, a player's explosiveness um, when you measure those those high verts. And so there were guys who jumped higher than him, but these were guys who were carrying 15, 20, 25 pounds less than he was. So at his size in the 290s, a 32 inch vertical did jump out at me. Broad jump was 110, which isn't bad for a guy his size again. Uh, but again, small school, Appalachian State. Um, you know, looked overmatched at times on film, did show an occasional strong bull rush. So there are some physical traits there. There are some aspects of his game that look solid. He's obviously a develop, developmental player. Uh, Fred Jones, Florida State linebacker, or D lineman, uh, nephew of former Jets linebacker Marvin Jones. He's a long shot, as is uh, Trevon Sanders out of Troy, who will probably get a look at some, uh, get some reps at nose tackle. Uh, comes in at 327, so a big guy out of a small school. Any any thoughts? Anything in particular you want to chip in? Uh, especially the uh, you know the Quinn and Williams pick and the the impact that could have overall on the defense itself. Yeah, it does seem like the the lineup on the the front three or front four is pretty much set in stone, and it'll be hard for players like Fakukasi and uh, Nate Shepard. To, to find a, a spot in the rotation here. Uh, you know, Nate Shepard being a third-round pick, 
you know, there there was a future that apparently uh, Todd Bowles and Casey Rogers had wanted for him. I can't assume that that's what Greg Williams is going to be comfortable with. Um, you know, clearly they went best player available with Quentin Williams, and you know maybe that sets uh, Nate Shepard back and Paul Aronzo back. So it'll be interesting to see how you know these guys coming into their second year. Uh, where, where what role will they have? You know, will they be able to find a you know a healthy rotation, or are they going to be basically uh, bench warmers? So it'll be interesting to see what happens with those two individuals specifically. Yeah, well, that's you know that's the thing is, and it's a good point. And I mentioned last week that I you know I worry that that Shepard could be another sort of mid round bust for McCagnan because of the fact that. He didn't do a whole hell of a lot last year. And while the one part of you says, well, you know, to be expected with a small school guy making the adjustments in the NFL, there's also that part of you that says, you know, then why are you drafting a, you know, a guy as old as he is? I mean, he's older than, you know, a lot of veterans. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So that pick could be one that ends up blowing up in their face. But, you know, who knows? It's too early it's too early to say that. And that's, that's one point as we move on here to the linebacker position. Um, I said, I said earlier, I, I tweeted out earlier just, you know, as I'm looking up and down the roster, I got to Brandon Copeland's name. And I think about, you know, he had a five and a half sack season last year. He had a nice year. He wasn't great. Um, you know, as I say all the time, I feel like I have to explain that saying something nice about a player doesn't mean you're saying they're going to the hall of fame. Um, Cause that's what people always tend to respond with. If you say that a, player is good and they don't like that player they jump right to oh yeah yeah he's going to Canton yeah of course he is and nobody's saying that um Brandon Copeland to me is a guy I look at and Brandon Copeland is the epitome he's the reason why fans shouldn't be so quick to jump and judge a player based on what they have or haven't done in the past he's a guy who'd been in the league for a little bit had some injuries, almost went to the, what was it, the the Arena League or something like that, and just bounced around, didn't do a whole lot. But, you know, that was the, the his, his situation. It, it was dictated by circumstances between injuries and not getting playing time. I just, I look at him, I'm like, here's a guy that the number of people who I saw when the Jets signed him, oh, training camp fodder, who cares, another – Another guy, they're just signing just to fill a roster spot. Like, the number of people who gave the guy no shot. And, I'm, and I just remember thinking at it, and I, and I always have this response. I'm always like, what are you basing this on? It's almost like the conversation we had a few weeks ago where I talked about with the draft, where fans just feel like, well, I haven't heard of him, so he can't be good. I, I've never – this guy, I just looked up his stats, and he wasn't phenomenal, so he's a waste. And the guy had himself a pretty nice season. And he's still young enough and has, you know, little enough experience that it's not unreasonable to say he might get better. So you write guys off just because you haven't heard of them or they haven't put up big numbers somewhere else. And I don't know. I know people like to feel like they know everything and they're right about everything. And maybe people would like it if I was more decisive on players when I talk about them. But I I understand that all these, a lot of these guys, well, hell, all these guys, you know, have have to get an opportunity 
in order to prove whether or not they can play. And I, I, you know, I see it all the time, and I saw it with Copeland too. And I just, for some reason, with him, it stuck with me because I'm like, geez, here's another guy where fans, whether it's on Twitter or the message boards of Jet Nation, oh, they're just throwing something against the wall. Oh, you know, training camp body, he'll be gone in a few months, he'll be bagging groceries, he'll be working for UPS. You know, and it's like, it, again, if I haven't heard of him, he must not be any good. So I'm happy for Brandon Copeland. I'm glad he had himself a nice season, and I hope he keeps going in that direction. So that that that's uh, those are my thoughts there. Sorry, Alex, I didn't mean to sidetrack us, but that was one thing that just uh, the number of times I see people write players off that, in all honesty, they know nothing about is uh, is frustrating. But outside linebacker Jordan Jenkins had himself seven sacks last year and I think twenty some QB hits pressures. So he was he was knocking on the he had Blake Bortles wrapped up for a sack and Bortles threw it away. So you know he had seven that could have been eight with you know if he keeps improving. And the, the defensive front seven is as good as expected this year. He could be a 10-sack guy. And, of course, you have Copeland, Ja'Kai Polite, the draft pick who we've talked about, who we're both big fans of, Frankie Louvu, the undrafted free agent who flashed at times last year. And then they're bringing in a few undrafted guys, Jeffrey Anderson, Fresno State, Malik Reed out of Nevada, Justin Alexander out of uh, University of Incarnate Wood, and Jabil Frazier out of Boise State, who made – NFL.com's list of top undrafted players. So make of that what you will. And uh, let's see, he had 18 sacks, 24 tackles for loss during his time at Boise State. So your thoughts on the outside linebacker position and your thoughts on whether or not, Alex, fans should write players off who they've never seen play before. Yeah, uh, I think that's a little short-sighted to, you know, give a full synopsis on somebody without, you know, seeing how they adjust and transition at the next level, you know, let's, you know, you can't even determine that in preseason, I feel, because, you know, it's not always the the best competition that's on the field either. Sometimes you have to just throw them out in the fire and find out, you know, see how they uh, react and how they adjust while they're out there. But uh, as far as this outside linebacker group, you know, it, I like where we're headed this year compared to last year. Um, as, you know, there was a lot of people that were saying this is the year for Lorenzo Molden. Um, then people were saying this is the year for Josh Martin. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because we haven't talked about any of those two players at all uh, because they're not a part of this team. So it, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Greg Williams takes this group and what he deploys, uh, you know, as he mix up his variations of schemes I was doing some film study on, on Greg Williams this weekend and some of the concepts in which he uses between his 3-4 and 4-3 and, you know, the styles of uh, personnel that he may use for, you know, like a 4-3 stack or a 4-3 under, um, you know, how, you know, who's going to be uh, in, in third down situations because he does like to use a lot of 3-3-5 three, three, sets and, and that's three defensive linemen, three linebackers, and then five defensive backs. So it'll be interesting to see who are going to be the six players inside the tackle box on, on uh, passing situations. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that Polite um, really takes the uh, pass rushing role um, and grabs the reins and doesn't let go. Uh, however, you know, he has been, from what I've been reading and hearing about him, and I, I still have to do some more film study on Jakai, but I have heard that he does sometimes struggle in the run game, uh, just basically shedding blocks and keeping outside containment. 
And, you know, that's kind of what I remember um, with Brandon Copeland last year when he had the starting job is that his discipline out in the edge was very raw and he was making a lot of mistakes when he was out there, um, mainly just biting on play action and not keeping outside containment. And then, you know, I, I specifically remember a couple uh, bootlegs that uh, Miami had run on us last year. And I was thinking that with Tannehill's banged up knee, the last thing this guy's going to be able to do is run on us. And I think he had one 20 plus yard run against Jordan Jenkins. And then later on in the second half, um, he, he beat uh, Brandon Copeland to the corner because he got pulled into the defense. He bit, you know, take the cheese as per se. And, you know, uh, Tannehill got around the corner on him. So going into this season, uh, we, we've got some, some better competition coming in house. So hopefully, you know, that outside, that strong outside linebacker position, that blitzing aspect of it gets improved with the kid from Florida, Ja'Kai Polite. Yeah, I think that uh, Polite's the guy that, uh, you know, it, this is a uh, it, it's probably the, the, the worst time of year because there's not going to be any new stories. There's not going to be any new news, maybe a couple minor signings. And I'm trying to stop myself from not talking about Polite constantly because he's a guy who the 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 potential he shows if he can you know if he can live up to that potential to think that the Jets may have just gotten themselves a legitimate edge rusher in round three is uh, is pretty unbelievable and again it, it may pan out it may not and I've I, you know I've said before even if the pick doesn't pan out I'm not knocking the pick I'm not going to do the revisionist history why did they take a guy with red flags they took a guy with red flags because the guy with red flags is a first-round talent at a top, you know, depending on how you want to rank the most important positions in the NFL, you know, top three, top four most important positions in the NFL, and he's there in round three, that, that's why you take him, and you roll the dice, red flags and all. If it doesn't work out, you took a shot. Um, you know, sometimes you gotta, sometimes you got to take a shot and take a risk. So, but the outside linebacker position, I think, it, you know, if Copeland – takes another step, Jenkins takes another step, Polite plays anywhere near as well as, you know, he's capable, then I think the the outside linebacker position is going to be much better than a lot of fans feel like it will be. And like I said, Frankie Luvu didn't look bad last season. He looks like he might be a guy who can who can make some plays. So that will bring us to the inside linebacker position where newcomer C.J. Mosley will be in the middle with Avery Williamson. Darren Lee may not be on the roster that, you know, that – that situation is is probably fluid at best. Neville Hewitt, a guy who I thought played really well last year in a, in a, a, a sub role for Lee when Lee was suspended, and I he also you know I thought he looked really good in camp, good in coverage, which you know to be expected having played safety at Marshall. So you got Williamson, Mosley, Lee, Blake Cashman, the rookie we talked about um, extensively a couple weeks ago, and then undrafted free agent Jamie Mosley who's C.J. Mosley's brother, that could be just a favor from the Jets. And I will say, though, the, the thing with Jamie Mosley, and I've, I've said this for years, I am always intrigued by guys who don't get on the field at programs like Alabama. I mean, they literally field minor league NFL teams. And you, you could a backup with Alabama could be a guy who starts on any other team in the country. So, you know, I'm not saying – I'm just saying none of us, nobody – has seen enough Jamie Mosley to say whether or not, you know, he has a shot to make it. 
But those backups on those powerhouses, I think, are always interesting to keep an eye on. Anthony Wimp, the undrafted linebacker who made the team last year, probably a long shot this year with Todd Bowles being gone. Uh, what are your thoughts on that group? What do you think, you know, the, the Williamson-Mosley thing, are you as worried as some people are that n- neither of them are as athletic as we would like? Um, maybe not, you know, we've talked about Darren Lee probably being their best coverage linebacker. If he goes, maybe Blake Cashman becomes their best coverage linebacker. Um, but does that worry you that those two guys are a little bit limited in the middle of the field, Alex? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that may be the case that the defensive personnel in the front office may be saying that, you know, yes, Mosley is a pro bowler and Williamson had a great year last year, but you put him out in space against some of these very athletic tight ends or out of, you know, a, a running back coming out of the backfield you know, they don't have the speed to keep up with those guys. And, and we remember from the days of David Harris and Demario Davis how they got exposed with uh, skills players coming out into the flat and going into space and, and, and just not being able to stay stride for stride. So, you know, possibly that could be something that makes the Jets hold on to Darren Lee for one more year. Um, otherwise, if players like Neville Hewitt and Blake excuse me, Blake Cashman end up showing that they have what it takes to fill in on third, third and long situations or just any sort of passing situations as a coverage linebacker. And that will definitely mix up how, you know, how many guys they intend on bringing into the 53 because, you know, right now, you know, we're talking about at least five guys with Mosley, Williamson, Lee, Cashman, and Hewitt, all five of those guys deserve a spot in my mind, but you know, you can't go, I don't know if you can go with five inside linebackers, uh, you know, due to the fact that we have question marks at, you know, at outside linebacker, we've got question marks at the safety position. I mean, not safety, the cornerback position. So it's definitely going to be very, very hard for guys like, you know, on the back end of the roster, like wind and, and um, Harvey Lange. I don't see where these guys fit, to be honest with you, other than practice squad guys. So, uh, yes, I am definitely concerned with Mosley and Williamson in in coverage duties. So perhaps, you know, that's the reason why we drafted Blake Cashman, or maybe perhaps that's one of the reasons why Darren Lee might stick this year just for that specific role. Yeah, I think that's, that's going to be the interesting situation. The interesting thing and you know, I guess there's no need to beat it to death. The, the Darren Lee situation is is uh, is one to watch, and and it could be the you know again between Cashman, Lee, and Hewitt, I think they'll you know they'll let the best cover guy play in those situations where they need one, and that's where you know Williamson or Mosley, you know, one of them will come off um, in in obvious passing situations. Corners, I won't say a whole lot because I went on a you know a, a bit of a. a a long-winded thing from the Twitter question. You covered a little bit, but True Johnson, Daryl Roberts, Derek Jones, Brian Poole, who I didn't touch on. Brian Poole worries me because when I read his scouting report and I watch him play, he reminds me of Buster Screen in that he's a physical face-in-the-fan type corner who will be fantastic in run support, but there are lapses in coverage. Now, hopefully the coverage is better than Buster Screen. 
on a more consistent basis. We'll see how that goes. But you've got you've got him. You've got Brian Poole, who the the former Atlanta Falcon. You've got Perry Nickerson, last year's sixth round pick, who didn't get on the field a whole lot last year. When he did, he made some bonehead mistakes. But he also, I think you'll probably remember this, Alex, the amazing, amazing interception he had against the Indianapolis Colts in which the officials blew the call and said he was out of bounds. He was inbounds. That should have been his first career INT, and it would have definitely been a highlight reel interception. So, uh, and then, you know, in camp, he, he showed himself to be a guy who was, you know, consistently around the ball, had a lot of pass breakups, but uh, during the season, that didn't materialize. Of course, there's draft pick uh, Bless Juan Austin, who we've talked about. Arthur Mollett was added as a free agent, former Saints DB. Richard Robinson, who I think is has one and a half feet out the door. Mike McCagney gave up a pick for him a couple years ago. Off the charts physical specimen, but just hasn't translated on the field. And then undrafted uh, Kyron Brown from Akron, who I don't know if the plan is to play him at corner, but a, with a 46140. That's that I don't know if that's corner speed at this level. So we'll see what happens with him. But your thoughts on the cornerback position. And then you know what, Alex? Jump right into the safeties after that. We know who they are. Adams, May, Middleton, Miles, and Brandon Bryant. Yeah, it's pretty much lock up those guys in the safety position. I don't think we're gonna be mixing that up at all. But the guys that I would uh keep my eyes on are, are the development of Perry Nickerson. Uh, where does does he take that jump? You know, last year he did show a couple things, but he also showed some immaturity uh, by, you know, getting flagged for, you know, unnecessary roughness on one of his first plays he made as a Jet. He had a really hard-nosed tackle um, near the sideline, and then he stepped over the guy like, you know, some WWF wrestler and kind of shouted in his face and threw got a penalty flag thrown on him. So hopefully, you know, those situations. Hey, you know, I got to be Perry. honest. I, can, I totally forgot about that play. You're right. That would a boneheaded play. I, that completely slipped my mind. Sorry that I didn't mean to cut you off, but that was a, yeah, good call on that one. That was, I remember thinking like, what are you doing? You know? Like you've been in the league for yep. 15 seconds and you're already getting in people's faces. No, I mean, you know, that that's just kind of, you know, you maybe get caught up in the moment, you know, as emotional players do. You guys that play with passion. I know I've done that with myself when I played on the field. I played through the whistle and beyond the whistle, as my coaches told me all the time. And I even got myself benched one time for for playing through the whistle and knocking somebody out of bounds. So, you know, I get it. It's a physical sport, and you want to go out there and make a name for yourself. You know, like you said, I'd much rather see you trying to keep both toes in bounds, making, you know, great highlight bill catches for interceptions then you know be getting penalty flags aren't you so you know i think we have to believe in in players like Perry nickerson and Derek jones this year taking those steps because what we're looking at at this roster has got a lot of question marks you know brian pool udfa cool story a little bit of safety uh role a little bit of a nickel uh coverage uh cornerback role you know where will he you know, make his niche in this lineup. I don't think Poole is the type of guy that you're going to be putting outside on his own. And, you know, that's more than likely why we've retained Daryl Roberts. But we have seen what Daryl Roberts can do. Um, He can play some uh, play well in zone. But, you know, in certain man-to-man situations, we've seen him get beat in the past. Uh, 
So, you know, we have to be leery and, and, you know, we're, we're all fans at the end of the day, but, you know, I could sit here and paint the prettiest picture of you, uh, of how Daryl Roberts is going to be this season, but we won't know until he, he gets out there. And, uh, hopefully the Jets are keeping their eyes out, um, you know, on the waiver wire, uh, to see where other players that might be able to come in and help us out here. Because God forbid, if something does happen to Tremaine Johnson, like last year where he gets hanged up earlier in the year, and now you're really reaching and expecting guys to, to not only step up, but play at, at that, you know, starting number one, number two level, which is very difficult in this league, especially with the way the wide receivers, you know, keep getting more and more athletic and explosive. You know, we've got our hands full. Um, I was writing down the list of the wide receivers that we have to go up against this year alone. And my God, these corners are going to be tested. So this is the one position group that that kind of keeps me up at night, per se. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, hopefully guys like, you know, I mentioned Perry Nickerson or Derek Jones are, are the answer. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's a, a lot of hope from Jets fans that some of those young guys do step up, show some improvement. And I, I think it was it was pretty much universal last year that the fans across the board, that's all you know, media personalities commented on it. Um Dan Leberfeld of Jets Confidential commented on it recently, you know, just briefly saying like that it, it was it was surprising to see how little Derek Jones saw the field in what was essentially a lost season. Uh despite showing some some good things early on. There was really n- not a not a logical reason to not play the guy, but uh, that's the way, you know, Todd Bowles went about it. And now this year, it, you know, if he can get it done or not, I, I think Greg Williams is going to push him. I think that's something this defense has been missing. And uh, again, as I've said in the past, yelling and screaming doesn't always equate results, but I think the players are going to get a much different feel this year for how their coaches feel about the game. Um, again, the safeties, Adams may, uh, as long as May's healthy, he's entrenched as a starter. Middleton, he's another one who's got to stay healthy. Rontez Miles, I could see getting pushed. Uh, you know, I mentioned a couple weeks ago Santos Ramirez, the undrafted free agent out of Arkansas, uh, a big hitter probably just because he's a little younger, a little more athletic than Rontez Miles. And then Brandon Bryant, another guy they grabbed last year um, when he didn't get drafted in the supplemental draft out of Mississippi State. He, uh, he did some good things in the preseason and found himself on the 53-man roster when the season closed out. Now, specialist, let's just look, we know what Lack Edwards is. We we're not gonna worry about Thomas Hennessy. Catanzaro, great year with the Jets a couple of years ago. Not such a great year with the Bucks last year. Found himself in free agency again. Um I don't know if you have a whole lot do you have a whole lot to say about Chandler Catanzaro at the moment, Alex? <laughs> not too much, no. Okay, Hopefully thank you for your thoughts on Chandler Catanzaro. You, you said more than I expected. <laughs> um so moving right along uh, we are going to now share with you, as I said at the top of the show, um, a, a moment of brutal honesty. Uh, some of our worst takes as as fans, not and I, I don't mean like in a moment. You know, every now and then you might convince yourself that most oh this maybe this guy will be good. I, I mean guys that you kind of that you dug in on and you really thought like this guy's going to be the next whatever. We need to draft this guy or we need to sign this guy. Um, only to find out that that guy was atrocious. Uh, we're talking, you know, didn't belong in the NFL type level. And I don't know why, probably because it's 
a position the Jets have been so bad at for so long, and it's the most important position. Most of my recollection, most of my recollections uh, revolve around the quarterback position. So uh, I'll start off, Alex. Um, currently, as far as I know, he might he might be back in the league. Someone might have signed him. But I wanted a few years ago. I was all aboard the Paxton Lynch train when the Jets were on the clock in the first round. That's the guy I thought they should go with. They, I mean, again, they were in dire need of a quarterback. I thought Lynch with the big arm and the athleticism. Um, the one caveat that my defense in 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 the wanting Paxton Lynch, I thought Chan Gailey would hang around a little longer than he did. I didn't know he was leaving after that season. And Chan Gailey's record, whatever you feel about Chan Gailey, his record speaks for itself. Go back and look at every quarterback he's had who is not a Hall of Famer. Because, you know, he had Elway at the at the beginning of his career, and he had Aikman at the end. But the sort of the journeyman, middling guys who never amounted to much, and, the, you know, throughout the rest of Gailey's career, he always got the most out of them. They always played their best football chance. I remember doing years ago about playing for Gailey. He absolutely loved them, said very popular with the quarterbacks, uh, very receptive, was good at working to the quarterback's strengths. Uh, valued the quarterback's input if they liked something that they saw or if they felt there was a specific, you know, handful of plays that they could execute. Chan wanted their input, and that's the type of stuff I would think you would want from a guy developing a young kid. But as it turned out, Paxton Lynch, uh, did he sign anywhere? I'm pretty sure he's out of the NFL, um, Alex. But that that that's one of my biggest whiffs. That That's one of my biggest, had I been the GM, I might be fired today uh, type of takes. Yeah, I tried to look it up. Uh, not showing too much activity. You, you, you go, you go ahead and share your. You go ahead and share one of yours, and I'm going to go ahead and look up Paxton Lynch and see if he is in the NFL. Oh well, it does seem something with the Seattle Seahawks. I'll let you. I, I was just going to say Seahawks. To, Paxton Lynch. Yep. My. All right. Uh, so he okay. He is still terrible, here. and I would still probably be fired. John Elway would be fired if he was not John Elway. That guy has gone through so many quarterbacks. For all the heat Mike McAgnan takes for missing on two quarterbacks, John Elway has missed on about 15. Um, and we're talking first rounders, second rounders, seventh rounders, free agents, undrafted free agents, everything, every variety, every method of acquiring a quarterback, John Elway has done and failed with the exception of the time he was able to land Peyton Manning. Anyway, on to your, one of your worst takes. What do you got, Alex? Uh, so this would uh, go back to uh, one of the first articles that I believe I ever wrote uh, for Jet Nation. And this article pertained a wide receiver that came out in a draft in which no one had expected us to double dip into the wide receiver position in the mid rounds. And this is the California kid, Chad Hansen. Now I wrote an article saying that Chad Hansen uh I don't know how it was phrased, could be, might be, will be, doesn't matter because he didn't, but it was more along the lines of Chad Hansen could be the next uh, Eric Decker. And my, oh my, did I get <laughs> torn to pieces uh, <laughs> by the uh, fan base. You know, some people were saying, oh, I can see that. that that's pretty cool. Other people were just saying, nope, you're just looking at, you know, two, two uh, pretty boys that, you know, kind of play you know, the slot position or whatever, and, and you're a moron. So, you know, I have to, you know, come out to everybody, 
that was my mistake. I, I thought I saw something in this kid, and uh, clearly he didn't even make it through his rookie uh, contract. And you know, right now he could he could be selling you insurance for all that I know, or bagging groceries somewhere. Hopefully, Chad Hansen has something of a football life and a comeback, so that I, you know, won't have to hide anymore. But that's what I got. You know, I I had big hopes for Chad Hansen back then, and I was kind of hoping he would solidify himself, but clearly he did not have what it takes. Yeah, I you know I I recall that offseason, that draft kind of applauding again, kind of looking at, at the fact that I was a hundred percent convinced that within that next year or two, the jets were going to do whatever it took to get a quarterback. Um, you know, again, this is a year or two before they got Donald. It was, yeah, it was when they drafted Hanson and Stewart and Leggett. And I just, I kind of said, you know, that was one of my takes was this is the jets, you know, they're going to start building the arsenal now so that when the quarterback arrives, they have some experienced receivers. Um, so it was right. more of an overview of all the offensive guys they drafted. But, you know, I, I, that's one of my – Ardarius Stewart. I didn't love the Hanson pick, but I liked Ardarius Stewart largely because of the way he played. I mean, he, he, he reminded me of Anunua in that he played with a linebacker mentality. He, he seeked out an initiated contact, um, and I liked that. I thought that sort of nastiness, like him and Anunua in the same huddle, I thought could be a lot of fun. But uh, but that obviously ended up being a huge huge failure, and you know probably definitely one of the biggest blemishes on Mike McCagnan's record because, and as I said, I said that would be McCagnan's uh, an equivalent to what Idzik did, where Idzik was in a draft that was historically deep at wide receiver, and he came away with the only three receivers in the end, the only three rookie receivers in the NFL that entire season that didn't have a catch. All three of them were drafted by John Edzik, um, which is unbelievable. The odds of that must be in the millions to one. Um, but uh, the, as, as far as, you know, another another horrible take that I had, I was uh, – and it wasn't so much that I was I – was, I don't want to say that I thought uh, I was predicting great things for Christian Hackenberg, but I was behind it in the sense – basically, I, I – I, believed what you know what I was reading everywhere and what I was finding online that he was just this super smart kid who like just the the cerebral the the brains were there this great football mind with a big arm it's just his mechanics and I thought you know what the Jets have drafted enough quarterbacks who could throw the ball real pretty and failed like I mean Geno Smith threw a nice ball Browning Nagel threw a nice ball um, you know, Sanchez eh, from time to time, but I thought, you know what? Okay. If this kid's mechanics are messed up and that can be fixed, they took a guy who, who's got the football IQ. So l- enough of these guys who throw a nice ball, but don't have the football smarts. So I'm glad they went with a guy who has the football smarts and they can work on his mechanics over the next year or two. And obviously there was zero football smart. I, I, I've referenced this a million times, Alex. I know it's only the preseason, but I went and watched him in Philly uh, that fourth preseason game, his rookie year, and I've said this a million times. I came out of there dumbfounded, and I said to my buddy I was at the game with, I was like, I feel like I just watched a really bad high school quarterback. Like, the the the, the I, I, just, I hadn't seen a guy miss that many easy throws. 
And I'm thinking, mechanics or not, you're in the NFL. Like, the dude is five yards in front of you, and you're throwing the ball at his feet. And, you, you know, you, you're getting balls batted at the line. You're getting intercepted. You're getting nearly intercepted. I'm like, I'm not seeing smarts or mechanics. And I think that was the moment where I, I the, the harsh reality was that it was going to take a monumental turnaround to get him to be an NFL quarterback. And that obviously never happened. So I didn't love Hack, but I defended the, the, the thought process of, okay, well, at least they're drafting a super smart guy who, uh, who can work on his mechanics. It turned out he was neither uh, mechanically sound or super smart. Yeah, I think we all um, were led astray with the, with that pick. You know, whenever you you have a pre- premium pick such as that one, and and you have so many different takes coming from so many different people, uh, it, it's hard to to be against it. You know, I thought going back into that process that you know specifically. A kid like Hack was going to be in the mid-round somewhere, you know, a late-round flyer, you know, and, and when we, we took him that early, it was it was a little bit of a head-scratcher. There was a lot of negative feedback that, you know, came our way. But then there was, you know, some other positivity that we saw. Oh, you know, he's like you said, he's smart. Um, you know, he, he understands the game. You know, he played very well with um, – I'm forgetting who his – Fresh during his freshman year, who his coach was, I know he was tied to the Patriots, and you know he he understood that system so well. So if you can get him yeah, back Bill in a O'Brien. system like that, Bill O'Brien, thank you. And you know the sky's the limit if if he can get into a system like that because you know look at all the great things he did, and man oh man did we get fooled, and you know that's very much like um, my prediction that I had gave in in the thing 2016. Um, after the Fitzmagic year is um, I said that the Jets were going to go to the playoffs. Um, I'm not sure if I said it on this podcast or maybe another outlet, but I know that I was really, really, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid that year and, and thought, you know, we have Marshall, we have Decker, we have Forte. We, we have a quarterback that has finally hit his peak and, we got the defense to back it up and blah, 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 blah. Holy smokes, was I wrong on that one. And I think we were all uh, feel a little foolish after the 2016 season because we had such a phenomenal, you know, come out of nowhere uh, 2015. And, um, yep. you know, the writing was on the wall, on the wall uh, in that Buffalo game where, you know, uh, Fitzmagic or Fitztragic, whatever you want to call him now, choked and, we should have known it then, but we didn't. We gave this guy a, a bag of money, and we we all went out, and maybe some of us bought season tickets the next year, or we went out, we bought jerseys, and, you know, we hadn't seen a good football team from the New York Jets in so long. It was hard not to ride on that one, you know, and jump on the bandwagon, but we all know what happened, and, um, you know, we're going to leave that in the past now and, and let that be where it belongs. And, you know, hopefully we don't end up getting in a situation like that ever again. Yeah, you know, that that's one of mine, too. I defended Fitzpatrick, like, adamantly, like, way over the top, crazy on the message boards. Um, and I've done that a couple times, and I, I know I can say this, and I, I do it with McCagnin now. It's like there's always got to be somebody, um, whether it's McCagnin, whether it was 
whether it was uh, Fitz, whether it was Rex. Um, I, 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 I get a little too into it when, and, and again, this, this kind of goes into what I've said before about how fans have this view of players that you are either great or you are garbage and there's no in between. And I, I get frustrated when people uh, talk about a player or a coach or an executive and, and do again, McCagney is a perfect example right now. Zero credit for the good moves, all the blame for the bad moves. And that's the way it was with Fitz. You know, it was like, uh, you know, every, every touchdown pass was lucky. Every, everything was a blown coverage or a Herculean effort by the receiver. Like, they couldn't just say, this guy's playing pretty decent right now. Um, and then the, fa- and the other big factor with Fitz was I had that little faith in Geno Smith. And to me, those were the options. It was like Geno or Fitz, and I would do that today. I would still take Fitz over Geno. Because Geno, Geno can't crack a starting lineup. And uh, I don't even know if he's in the league right now. I don't know if he's signed by anybody. But, yeah, uh, it, you know, I said at the time, and this is, this is a take that some will say I was wrong on, but I refuse, refuse to accept um, because, as I said earlier, guy hasn't gotten – when I say he hasn't gotten a shot, I mean he hasn't gotten more than a handful of games from time to time. I still think Mike Glennon could be a good NFL quarterback. Not great, but good, which would be an upgrade for the Jets for ye- – you know – from the years of terrible, I would have accepted good. Um, and people, oh, he failed with the Bears. The Bears had a first-round quarterback. They were going to pull the plug on Mike Glennon at some point anyway. Go back to the, you know, the, the, their season opener that year, they nearly defeat, they nearly won the, they, they nearly beat the defending um, NFC champs and the Falcons, if not for uh, three drop touchdown passes at the end of the game from Glennon to three different teammates who couldn't hold on to a touchdown. Um, the Bears start 0-3, 0-4, and he gets benched. But he, he wasn't that bad. Um, so that I know there are people who would say, you know, who remember my support from Mike Glennon, and they would say that was one of my worst takes. But uh, I'm, I am not accepting that one. Sorry. Say what you will. He's, uh, I think he's what I said he is, a good enough quarterback to, you know, a, a good quarterback. Let's just say that, which the Jets have not or had not had up, at, up until that point. In a very long time, but Fitz, another one of mine. Yeah, I, I supported. I was way over the top. But and I will say this, and I wasn't going to say it at the time, and it doesn't matter now because yeah, I was wrong. Whatever. But I remember like this weeks and weeks and months of this like emotional like back and forth with fans who hated him, and I'm saying bring him back, and other fans are hating him. And like the day they signed him, like when it was announced that Jets signed Ryan Fitzpatrick, I literally sat on my couch and went. I have to be excited about Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like, that's how bad this, that's how bad our, like, even, like, I knew, I knew he wasn't that good. I just knew I preferred him to Geno. I would have liked other options outside of both of them. And I knew that I'd gotten so riled up by the fans that would give him zero credit for what he did, that I got so emotionally invested that when he did resign, it was almost like a careful what you wish for. Like, I literally was like, we just re- I, I'm I'm excited that Ryan Fitzpatrick is our quarterback. You know, it was it was like uh that it all you know hit me at that moment that Jesus, the team has to aim higher. This these these you know sort of middling bottom dwelling draft bust quarterbacks that they keep trotting out every year. Um, but anyway, no more of that. You got you got any more for us, Alex? We got a couple more minutes. I just wanted to cover one more topic, um, but I'll give you a chance if you got any other any huge huge busts. Uh, or or takes on your part. Yeah, let's press forward. My 
my claim to shame is I think that I think I'm good. <laughs> okay, I got you. I also love the Quentin Copels pick. I, physically, athletically, I thought he was going to be a monster. Um, I didn't know he just lacked any heart whatsoever and didn't really care to play football. Uh, Picturing that god awful brand on his shoulder too that always makes oh me god, that's crazy. me out a little bit thinking about that brand he had. That you thing be was crazy, crazy to do something like that to yourself. Yeah, I think that was a fraternity thing. I think like his frat had it. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, um, so I, I said this to you earlier. Um, you know, we just covered the roster. Fans will think what they think about this roster, uh, whether or not they put the right guys in in the right places. Um, I ran a poll earlier from my account. We retweeted it from Jet Nation and Jet Nation Radio to try to get maximum support. I was hoping to get a thousand responses. Um, but I only sent it out a few out, well, sort of mid, 10, 11 hours ago. Um, we did get 800, 807 responses, which isn't a bad sample size. Um, and basically the question was, if the Jets coaching staff, as currently assembled, if they get the most out of this roster, because that's how I always judge a coach. People always say, you know, wins, losses, championships. You have to be honest and look at what the coach has to work with. And did he get the most out of them? If that, That's all you can ask. So if this coaching staff gets the most out of this roster, is this roster good enough to make the playoffs? My opinion is yes. And of our 807 votes, even with my answer being yes, I was shocked by this. 87% of fans said yes. They think this is a playoff team if this coaching staff gets the most out of this roster. And that is why, even before I – this is why I put the poll up, because I was going to say that my biggest concern going into this season is now – Adam Gase, for the same reasons, look, when the Jets hired Todd Bowles, that big spending spree that offseason, I said that year, you know, going into that off, going into that season, I was asked, what's, what's the biggest question mark you have about this team? I said, coaching. I said, you've added Revis, you've added Cromartie, neither of them were as great as their former selves, but they were better than what the Jets had the previous year. People forget that Darren Walls and Antonio Allen were the Jets' starting corners the year before. Oof. Like, that, that, that upgrade alone was massive. James Carpenter was brought in, and don't forget, he played well his first couple of years. So they made enough moves that I said, this team could win 10 games. Could be a 10-win team, and that, they won 10 games. They missed the playoffs. But now fast forward a few years, and I'm in the same boat. I look at the talent. I look at an ascending young quarterback. I look at Le'Veon Bell, Robbie Anderson, Quincy Nunwa, Chris Herndon. They should be able to put up some points. Then the, this front seven, Leonard Williams, Q Williams, Henry Anderson, four-time Pro Bowl linebacker, and C.J. Mosley playing next to Avery Williamson, who had a great year last year. Ja'Kai Polite, who's got the potential to be a playmaker. Jordan Jenkins, who's a nice player. Not great, but he's a nice player. Jamal Adams, who you can deploy in a million different ways. Marcus May's health is a question. I get it. And then the corners, who are questions. I get it. But there's enough talent on this roster, in my mind, to be a playoff team. That's why my biggest concern, as much as we talk about corner, as much as we talk about center, as much as we talk about pass rush, my biggest concern is Adam Gase. Because in my mind, did I just say that like three times in my mind? Sorry about that. But the way I see it, Adam Gase is a guy who's got enough talent. Put it this way. The Jets 
were in position to win six, seven, eight games last year. I mean, they blew, I think, three games in the final five minutes um, and couldn't hold on, whether that was the coach, the talent, I, the talent, or maybe a combination of both. This coach is supposed to be better than the last one, and the talent on defense is undoubtedly upgraded. So why shouldn't this team be a 9 or 10 win team if this staff gets the most out of, their, out of the players? So what are your thoughts, Alex? And listen, people say, this guy has to stay healthy. That guy has to stay healthy. There's going to be injuries. We get that. But that applies to every team. Somebody, somebody sent that reply to me. Oh, this is a loaded question. You can't account for injuries. All we're saying is no team goes into the season. I mean, you build your roster with the expectation guys are going to stay healthy, even though you know not everyone's going to stay healthy. So if, if, if there's not a major rash of injuries if if the key players for the most part stay on the field all year is this a team that's good enough to make the playoffs and and is that a fair assessment or a fair concern in your mind Alex and if not what would you say is your biggest concern mine is Adam Gase what's yours uh well, I guess, you know, from a, a coaching standpoint, um, I, I guess I'm more concerned about, you know, how will Adam Gase, uh, his system, will it propel Sam Darnold to be the franchise quarterback that we all hope that he can be? Um, you know, we, we've we seen the wow throws. We know about his ability to create, you know, outside the pocket, but yes, how can Adam Gase mold him into, you know, a 10-plus win quarterback for the next 10 years? Is he capable of doing so? So that is definitely um, something to be concerned about. But we're also talking about a coach that helped Peyton Manning throw 55 touchdowns in a regular season. Um, This is uh, when he was offensive coordinator with the Bears. He helped Jay Cutler, yes, smoking – that get that meme out of him smoking a cigarette. Um, he had a 92.3 passer rating, which was a career high um, when he was with Gates. Um, you know, this is somebody that has worked with offensive minds like Mike Martz and Steve Mariucci. Um, so, you know, he's going to bring that West Coast and that, that spread offense in, into, you know, our offensive scheme and, you know, we've got a lot of versatile players, so will he be able to implement them and, you know, maximize all their potential? So definitely a lot is, goes into, uh, you know, will this system be the right mold for this team? Can we get everybody that we have? You know, because we, I think Mike McCagden has done a fairly good job, um, you know, in free agency. He brought in um, some high-profile players. At, you know, the offensive line and the running back position and defensively, you know, we, we have a new leader in C.J. Mosley. Uh, so he's done enough, you know, yes, we – I can't say that without, you know, saying maybe he could have done something at center, maybe he could have done something at cornerback, but we're just fans that are looking at this saying we want better at those positions because we may not know or we may not feel comfortable with what – we have right now. Um, so, yes, Gase is definitely a concern to see if this team can can buy into his system. And then the other thing that really concerns me is, 
yes, I, I, I love Marcus May and I love Jamal Adams. I think Tremaine Johnson's going to have a better year this year, but will Daryl Roberts be the liability in this defensive backfield? Um, can some of the younger guys that we mentioned step up and perform at a high level and, you know, save us of our worries? All these things remain to be seen. And, you know, my biggest concern right now is that number two, that number three cornerback position, because I think we're going to be fine with Tremaine Johnson as long as, you know, like you said, the big ifs, he stays healthy, he has a bounce back here. I think he's going to be just fine. It's just a matter of what's going to happen with that number two, number three-year-old role. So for me, can they buy the offensive scheme? And will this defensive backfield, you know, be able to hold its own against some of the very, very talented athletic wide receivers that we're going to be going up against this year? And that's kind of where my worries lie. Yeah, all all very fair stuff. And as I said, that that will be in terms of on the field. It'll be that secondary, or specifically the corners. But my hope is that they generate enough pressure up front that they can take the heat off of those guys a little bit and give them the opportunity to make some plays. But uh, listen, no team is perfect. Even if even if you're coming off a Super Bowl, uh, you know every team has stuff they have to work on, and every team has holes they have to fill. The Jets are no different. I just know that for me personally, right now there are a whole lot less. Uh, you know, gaps on this roster than there were a couple years ago when they tore this whole thing down and started from scratch, essentially started from scratch. So that is it for us tonight. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Longer show than usual, but we wanted to cover the roster. Wanted to get your questions out there from Twitter. So thank you so much for those. And next week, be sure to tune in. Uh, We'll be tweeting about this later in the week. We will be having Jets offensive lineman Brent Qualley on as a guest talk a little bit about his time with the Jets, his journey as an undrafted free agent, and uh, you know what, what he's enjoyed most about his time with the Jets and in New York. So that's it for us, and this is a bit odd. We have two minutes left, and we've got a phone call. Let's go to this caller real quick. Caller, you're on Jet Nation Radio, and we have two minutes to go. What's going on? Hey, what's up, man? It's James over here in New Jersey, Jimmy Jazz. Um Glenn, how you doing? Uh, I'm Jim, sorry I got Jim. in late, man. Yeah, uh, good to yeah. hear from you. We, uh, we go back and forth on Twitter a little bit. You got a call in earlier one night. Quick question. What do you got? Yeah, I got a question about our linebacker thing, because a lot of people are making this thing that we're oversaturated at the position. But uh, looking at, at Greg Williams' schemes, though, he tends to have different packages with different linebackers coming in and out. Do you think that Maybe that's why we haven't really, um, you know, kind of, you know, we've picked up a lot more linebackers this year than, like, other years. You know, we've kind of always been thin, I feel, at the position. And now we have, like, overly enough, you know, enough guys to really handle that. Do you think that's why they're doing that? Or do you think they're going to probably get, you know, move on from Lee, which I hope they don't. But, you know, uh, uh, what what are your thoughts on that? Well, Alex touched on it earlier. And, I'm going to be real quick because we have less than a minute, but Alex touched on it earlier. Uh, Greg Williams uses so many different fronts that, you know, he's going to have packages that are going to get multiple guys on the field at once, depending on the, on the setting. But, uh, you know, I think Darren Lee, I agree. I don't want him gone. Um, You know, I understand why they might want him gone, but uh, I think they're anticipating he will be. And with the rosters at 90, they're always going to carry some extra bodies into camp, into preseason. But uh, thanks for calling in, Jimmy. I hope you can get in Definitely. earlier next week. Thanks, Glenn. Uh, we'll take do. care, and 
thank you for joining us this week on Jet Nation Radio. Um, Alex, go ahead and give out your Twitter handle real quick. You got 20 seconds. All right. At NYJetsLife24. Thanks a lot, Jet Nation. All right. And I am at AceFan23, AceFan23. And please remember to leave us some reviews on iTunes. Thank you so much for tuning in, Jets fans. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow Glenn on Twitter at AceFan23. And the show can be found at Jet Nation Radio. Until next time, go Jets!